Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It's been too long since we've heard that music, but we are back because the Wimbledon 2019 draw is out. It is strawberry season. We'll be back again Monday for the Q&A. This video is your draw preview. We'll go quarter by quarter as always on the grass. I might make a longer video about this, but I'm less so looking for the kind of consistency and the athleticism and the power that I look for on clay. I'm looking for great serves, great returns, great racket skills, precision, and variation. All that good stuff is uh, things that are going to get you very far on grass. Let's start with Novak Djokovic's quarter. He's the one seed at this tournament. And uh, he's got, for his top seeds, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev, Gael Monfils, FAA, and David Gafan. The reality of Djokovic's quarter is I think that it's a pretty tough one. In the beginning, in his first round, he gets Philip Kohlschreiber, who's beat him this year, who's very comfortable on the grass. Shouldn't matter, though. He gets probably Dennis Kudla. It could be Malik Jaziri in the second round. And uh, Kudla is what I would call a grass court specialist. So that's kind of a tougher test. Shouldn't matter once again. But what could matter is Djokovic is going to likely have a very tough fourth round and a very tough quarterfinal. Now, it's not all bad for Djokovic. I'll get into that in a second. But let's just talk about the potential fourth round. It could be Gael Monfils, but I don't think it's going to be Gael Monfils. Uh, his movement and his defense is kind of neutralized on this surface. His power isn't as important on this surface. He's just... Uh, He's not, he's not comfortable on the grass, and that's become very clear throughout his career. So that's why I have Gelmon Fies on upset alert. It's not really a product of his draw. There, he doesn't play anyone particularly dangerous, but Monfils without the time and sometimes playing too passively, we'll see because he's a different player, but that's why he's on my upset alert. I do think that Djokovic will face Felix Auger-Aliassime in the fourth round. And uh, Felix has been serving incredibly on the grass. It's been, it's been overwhelming, and he keeps his strokes very short, very compact. He's very comfortable playing a uh, very aggressive style, and uh, he, he can also finish points at the net. But mainly, it's his serve that's been so difficult for opponents to crack on the grass courts. And that's why in Stuttgart, he went all the way to the final and lost to Matteo Berrettini. And then... At the Queen's Club for the Fever Tree Championships, he made it all the way to the semifinal before he lost to the, to the eventual champion, Feliciano Lopez. So Felix has been incredibly impressive on grass. At age 18, he is already 21 in the world. This is the kind of pace that Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer, uh, that's the kind of pace that Felix Auger-Aliassime is on. I don't know how, how uh, high Djokovic was ranked when he was 18, but I think Djokovic was a bit more of a uh, late bloomer. But here we have a guy who's extremely dangerous, who's going to join the elite ranks at any moment, and Djokovic will draw him, uh, in my opinion, he'll draw him in the fourth round. But we'll see what happens. The nature of draw analysis is hypothetical. The nature of it is jumping the gun, and that's just how it goes. Then in the quarterfinals... It, uh, I have it, well, it will likely be the winner of Daniil Medvedev and Stefanos Tsitsipas. This is a very interesting matchup because Medvedev is 4-0. In this matchup, Medvedev likes the grass a lot. Tsitsipas 
likes the grass a lot, or, or at least his play style fits it quite well. Uh, so we'll see what happens in that. I just have this weird feeling that Pass gets it done this time. I have no rationale for that. Uh, but if it's Pass, I think that's also a very dangerous matchup for Djokovic with the big serve and the big forehand on grass. Uh, the way you can beat Djokovic is you can take the racket out of his hand on this surface. Can't really... It's, it's a bit harder to do that on a hard court, but on a grass court, uh, it's a bit easier. So I think Djokovic... I think Djokovic has a pretty tough quarter, especially with his fourth round and his quarterfinals. And the first two rounds are relatively difficult as well. I'm going to pick him to go through. But as you're going to see, I think that there is a scenario where Djokovic does not reach the semifinals. The good news for Djokovic is if he does reach the semifinals, he will probably have a very breezy semifinal opponent, as we'll talk about when we uh, go to the next quarter, which is Kevin Anderson's quarter. Uh, finishing up, though, this quarter, the dark horse, I kind of like the seeds in this quarter, except Monfils. I think all the seeds will go pretty far. So it was pretty difficult to pick a dark horse, but I did get to uh, have a look at I don't really know how to pronounce his first name, really, because I've never watched him on a television broadcast, but I think it's like I don't know, whatever. His last name is Moutet. He is a Frenchman. He is a lefty. He's very young. He loves to go to the net. He's got a great lefty slice serve. Uh, he keeps, he stays, uh, he plays quite close to the baseline. And uh, for all those reasons, I'm like, huh, this guy should be pretty good on grass. Slices his backhand pretty nicely as well. So all that should bode well for Moutet. Let's see who he has. I forget. Let's pull up the, the bracket real quick. Mute. Oh, he has Grigor Dimitrov. Right. Okay. So the reason I pick Mute as a dark horse is because I think he uh, he has a good chance at beating Dimitrov in the first round. But he would face Felix in the second round. Upset alert. I already discussed Monfils. Early popcorn, none. I think the popcorn in this quarter comes late. Djokovic FAA, that is must-see, and Medvedev-Tsitsipas, a rivalry, a confounding head-to-head -head where Medvedev's been so dominant, so that would be another one that I would hate to miss. Let's go to the next quarter, Kevin Anderson's quarter. I gotta be honest, this is one of the worst quarters I can remember in recent Grand Slam history. We're talking about Kevin Anderson, who's... Barely healthy, skipped the clay court season from the elbow injury, missed most of the beginning of the season with, I think it was also the elbow, if, if not the shoulder, but but he's had right arm issues. I know his legs have been fine, which is good. Uh, it's more important that someone can still keep their cardio up and work on their fitness and their movement. Uh, but for a guy who relies on a big serve like Kevin Anderson, having elbow issues or shoulder issues is pretty, pretty bad. Sasha Zverev, who hasn't found any form really in 2019, played two grass court tournaments in his home country, uh, Stuttgart and Halle, wasn't particularly impressive in either of them. I don't think he made a quarterfinal, certainly didn't make a semifinal. Uh, and on grass, I think Zverev's just too passive, not big enough off the ground to succeed on grass. Last year, one of my better picks, I, I picked uh, Ernest Golbis to defeat Zverev, and that's exactly what happened. Karen Hachinov is, is in there, and I th actually think he's looked pretty good. He's lost to Matteo Berrettini. 
in both of his grass court warm-ups, but Berrettini's been so good. I think Hachinov has looked really good. Milos Raonic, the only concern with him, Raonic has had great success at Wimbledon. Did he make a final? I'm pretty sure he's been in the Wimbledon final, if not semifinals. He's beaten Roger Federer at Wimbledon, so this is a guy who can get it done here. The only concern is that he had a, he had a back injury that he had to pull out of Stuttgart with. I think it was Stuttgart. But certainly one of the grass court warm-ups, he had back issues. So that's not very good. Stan Wawrinka doesn't really have time to load up his power on this surface. And uh, his weaker return hurts him immensely on this surface. He's a much better returner on slower courts. Bautista Agut is very dangerous on, on grass, though. He's got flatter strokes off the forehand and the backhand wing. The only thing Bautista Agut is missing is a big serve. Guido Pela, I think, is one seed that, although he did beat Marin Cilic last year, not much of a threat on this surface. And then Benoit Pair. The reality of this of, of this quarter is I think that any of these guys could realistically be in the semifinal, except for Guido Pela. I mean, there is so many players in the mix here. Any of these guys could be in the semifinal. I'm going to go with with uh, with Milos Raonic because of his pedigree and because of his serve. As we saw last year, if you have a massive serve and you are calm under pressure, uh, it can take you very far. I mean, we had a Kevin Anderson against John Isner semifinal last year. So I'm going with Raonic. I'm riding the big man's serve. I, I think that he gets uh, he gets too tight under pressure. And, you know, it really frustrates me about Raonic. I think, you know, he misses he misses forehands under pressure on a consistent basis. But how do we know he'll be under pressure before the semifinal? We don't. So I think Raonic gets through this. Dark horses. Marius Chopel. Big serve, one-handed backhand, big forehand, likes to come to the net. I mean, Chopel is nothing but aggression, but this this surface will reward him. Jiri Vesely, uh, I believe he's in the final at Eastbourne. And Vesely has had great results at Wimbledon as well. I want to pull this up. So Vesely, who does he face in the first round? He faces Alexander Zverev. And I think Zverev needs to, needs to be pretty worried about Yuri Vesely um, in the first round. I think, has he made like a quarterfinal at Wimbledon? He's been very, very far. I don't want to waste time and, uh, and look it up for you guys. But Vesely has made two impressive runs in, uh, at Wimbledon. Another lefty with a big serve, a flat backhand that stays very low, and uh, uh, an aggressive forehand. But not a very powerful forehand. A forehand that uh, he, he likes to be... He plays it pretty precise and close to the lines, which is really good on grass. So upset alert, Alexander Zverev. I think he needs to worry about Vesely in the first round. Early popcorn, Karen Hatchinov, who's looked, who's looked uh, again, I think the best he's looked all season on the grass, against Feliciano Lopez, who is your reigning Fever Tree Championship title winner. So that'll be uh, one that I'll keep an eye on. I think that's a high-level match in round two. Let's go to the bottom half, and we have Rafa Nadal's quarter. His seeds, Dominic Team, Fabio Fanini, Marin Cilic, Nicolas Basilashvili, and Gilles Simon. So let's start by going through Nadal's path as I have it. 
pull up the bracket. Uh, Nadal starts things off with Shigita, the qualifier. Not a problem. But uh, in the second round, it's the winner of Jordan Thompson and Nick Kyrgios. And that's not what Nadal wanted to see. Because Kyrgios is very capable at his best of completely taking the racket out of Nadal's hands and beating him on grass. However, however you want to look at it, if Kyrgios brings his A game, it's a super dangerous matchup for Nadal. Then in the third round, he could it could be Denis Shapovalov, but I think it's going to be Joe Wilfried Sanga. I think most of the the most dangerous unseated players in this tournament are in Nadal's quarter here. And you can see that in my dark horses. I had to include three guys because I think so many guys are uh, dangerous. And that's not even including Dan Evans, who's another dangerous unseated player. This is the quarter of the unseated players when it comes to the, the most dangerous unseated players in the draw. Uh, then after the third round, I think it gets a bit easier for Nadal. In the fourth round, he could draw Marin Cilic if Cilic makes it so far, that, that far. He's been so inconsistent in 2019, but if any surface can, can bring the old Marin Cilic back to the forefront, it is grass. And I do believe that Cilic beat Nadal at the Hurlingham Club in an exhibition match before Wimbledon. So I got to say, it, it's, it's pretty tricky if you look at things from Nadal's perspective. But the top half of this quarter, in my opinion, is rather weak. And that's because I think Dominic Team needs to be very, very careful with Sam Query. And I thought about it very hard. And, you know, I do think that Sam Query beat, upsets Dominic, Dominic Team in the first round. And it comes back to the, the same reason why Stan Wawrinka struggles on grass courts. And that's the, that's the return, and especially the backhand return. It's really very difficult. Uh, for one-handed backhands, unless your name is Roger Federer, to return with effectiveness on grass because it, it comes so quick and it's just hard for players to do anything but block it back or chip it back. And uh, for Federer, he's just mastered that return. Dominic Team has not. And Sam Query, who is finding form once again, I think that he's in the finals at Eastbourne as well, I think. But Query, who's kind of rounding into form, has had great runs at Wimbledon, has beaten Djokovic at Wimbledon. Uh, I think that, that Query pulls this off against Dominic Team. And then if you look at the other seeds on the top half of this quarter, Gilles Simone, Fabio Fanini, Laszlo Gera, uh, not much going, not much doing. So the good news for Nadal is I think that he could have a relatively easy quarterfinal if he makes it that far. I have him facing Sam Query in the quarterfinals. So Nadal's draw starts off pretty tough, maybe gets a little bit easier towards the end. Early popcorn, of course, Nadal versus Kyrgios round two. Let's see if Kyrgios can get by Jordan Thompson. Sometimes uh, you know how it goes with Nick. Lastly, we have Roger Federer's quarter. The top seeds, Kane Shikori, John Isner, Matteo Berrettini, Diego Schwartzman, and Alex DiMinor. Take a look at Federer's path to start off. 
he has Harris in the first round, Noah Rubin, or uh, what's Clark's first name? The the British wild card, uh, Clark, in the second round. Then he could face Luca Pui, but Pui faces Richard Grazke in the first round. So I'm going with Gazke in that one. It could be Bublik, uh, but I think Gazke. Then, of course, we know what Gazke does when he faces a member of the big three. Doesn't really put up much of a fight. And uh, then I think he faces Jan Leonard Struff, who is my dark horse. I have Struff making a run to the fourth round. He'd have to go through the likes of Diego Schwartzman. He'd have to go through the likes of Marcos Bagdadis, who's playing his last tournament. Shout out to, Ma to Marcos Bagdadis, an incredible career, uh, one of the most likable guys on tours, so much fun uh, to watch throughout his career. So clap your hands, Marcos Bagdadis, uh, great career, and congratulations on retirement. Struff then could face Bedane. Chorich was in this uh, was in this section, but Chorich has sadly withdrawn with what he called a minor injury. Oh, you know what? I don't know if Struff still plays Baghdadis. The Chorich withdrawal might have shaken things up. Anyway, you have Schwartzman in that in this section as well. So this is a huge opening for Jan Leonard Struff, who's got a big serve, who's super aggressive off the ground, and uh, likes to play short rallies. Should love the grass. But and Struff just all around. He's playing great tennis. It's been a it's been a really good year for Jan Leonard Struff. Then in the top half here, you have Alex Dimonor, who I think he he's yet to make a run in a Grand Slam. Grass is going to be his surface because he see he doesn't have the power off the ground. He's still too small, but the grass will help him because he's got the precision off the ground and. This surface will help precise players. It'll kind of even it out. That's the thing. You look at a player like Adrian Manorino. He won, what's it called? Hurt, 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 Herkenbosch? I can't even pronounce it. But the, the tournament in the Netherlands that Adrian Manorino won. Manorino would never win a tournament right now at this stage in his career on a slow court because he doesn't have enough power. He can't generate the offense. What Manorino can do is change direction and play close to the lines. When you hit a perfect shot on grass, when you hit it right, when you place it well, when you set it up well, it doesn't matter how much power you have. It's going to win you the point. On a surface like clay, you have to hit three, four perfect shots in a row unless you have the kind of power that a team, Nadal or Vavrinka has. And then the reason they're so good on clay, or one of the reasons, is they don't have to hit as many great shots because they hit so big off the ground. So Demonor moves well on the surface, loves this surface, great at the net. I think that this is going to be his breakout Grand Slam tournament. Gets Marco Cecchinato in the first round, and I definitely give Demonor the edge in that one. But we'll see what happens. Kane Ishikori is the upset alert. I think he loses to Cameron Nori. That should be a center court match, and I think uh, Nori will will give the, the the British fans a good show and come through that match. Let's see what else do we have here. We have we have Matteo Berrettini, who's been so good. But uh, he runs into John Isner, and I think Isner serves his way past Berrettini. We'll see what happens. I could see that going either way. But uh, Federer, I think, plays Isner in the quarterfinals. And that's been a pretty lopsided head-to-head -head in favor of Roger Federer. 
and I think he gets through that, makes the semifinals. So Federer comes through this quarter. Of the big three, Federer has certainly the kindest draw. There's no no two ways around it. Whether he faces Berrettini or Isner or Struff or Schwartzman, all, all these names, they pale in comparison to the threats that Djokovic has in an FAA, a Tsitsipas, a Medvedev, or the threats that Nadal has early on with uh, a guy like Sanga, uh, who's getting healthy again, or more importantly, a guy like Nick Kyrgios in the second round. So Federer is, definitely comes out of... Uh, Draw comes out of this draw looking the best, and also he he won his warm up tournament, so it's always good for confidence. Roger Federer coming in. Um, let's see a few comments. Let's go to the final weekend, and I could see this going two ways. So let me be very very clear. And I think for the French I was clear. Uh, for the French I said I, I could see Djokovic losing the team. But if Djokovic plays Nadal in the final, I'm going to go with Djokovic. That was kind of how I picked the French Open. Uh, here's how I want to pick Wimbledon. And I know I have to choose one, but I could see this going two ways. I could see Djokovic not making the semifinals. I could see him losing to Felix, possibly, or losing to Tsitsipas, less so Medvedev, to be honest. I could see that. And honestly, I'm not overly impressed with uh, Djokovic's preparation, and I worry sometimes about Djokovic's motiv motivation now, kind of the comeback has kind of been completed, and now he's defending, he's he's defending champion. I like Djokovic as an underdog. I like him with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, I don't really like it when he's the front runner as much when it comes to uh, to his motivation. And the other thing is, there are no grass courts in Serbia, right? So last year, Djokovic, who needed match play, played Queens. He played the Fever Tree Championship. He went to Lon London. He trained on grass courts early. This season, he decided to stay in Serbia where there are no grass courts and he was training on hard courts. So we know that Djokovic's priorities are, are no longer 100% tennis. They, are, uh, they also involve spending time with his kids, with his family, and sometimes that means he's going to stay in Serbia. Does that mean he's going to be as prepared for Wimbledon as he was last year? I don't know. Let's see. Uh, he should be fine, but I just want to throw that information out there. That uh, Djokovic spent a lot of time preparing for Wimbledon on hard courts, which was, uh, which was interesting. Um, Federer, on the other hand, I'm quite certain that he's going to make the semifinal. I think that that's... Uh, I think that that's a, a pretty – that's a safer bet than Djokovic making the semifinal. But the thing is I still favor Djokovic to get through his quarter. No one defends on this surface like Djokovic. No one returns on this surface like Djokovic. It is absolutely wild what he is able to do with his defense and his return on grass. And guess what? Djokovic's biggest weakness, his lack of power off the ground. On grass, I just explained why that doesn't really matter on grass. It's more about precision on grass. And Djokovic has that with his backhand and his forehand. And he gets the cakewalk semifinalist, likely. And I don't want to be disrespectful because once you make a Grand Slam semifinal, I mean, it, it, means, it means you're 
it means you're in great form and that's a, an amazing feat and you're playing at an elite level at that point. But let's face it, we all knew that Djokovic was going to beat Kevin Anderson in the Wimbledon final last year. He's going to get a similar semifinal matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a Roberto Bautista Agut or a Karen Hatchinoff. And are these guys beating Djokovic in the semifinal? Probably not. Meanwhile, you got Federer and Nadal likely in the semifinal. Are they going to beat each other up? So if Djokovic gets through his quarter, I think he wins Wimbledon. I see this going two ways. Either Djokovic doesn't make it through his quarter and Roger Federer wins another. Maybe his last. Or Djokovic gets through his quarter and wins Wimbledon. Those are kind of, I think, the two main things. Let me just go through the other big three and, and tell you where I think they're at. So I mentioned Djokovic. I'm a little bit concerned with his preparation. I like it when there's a chip on his shoulder, and I'm not sure there is one here. Um, you know, I, I like that Federer plays a warm-up tournament here versus uh, the way Djokovic prepares, uh, prepared for Wimbledon, right? When it comes to Nadal, I think he lost uh, – he dropped a set to Luca Pui and he – I think he lost to Luca Pui and um, – I just said it – Marin Cilic at the Hurlingham Club. So I think he went 0-2 in exhibitions. Those ex exhibitions aren't that important, but once again, I, I'm just throwing out information. I'm just trying to give you guys information. A couple years ago with Nadal's draw, I would have picked Nadal to be upset. I really would have. But with Nadal's – New play style, how aggressive he is with his forehand, how great his volleys are, and how willing he is now to use his volleys on a regular basis. You go back to his match with Juan Martin Del Potro last year when he charged the net over and over and over again because he knew it was going to win him the match, and it did. I don't think the new Rafa Nadal gets upset early. I think the old Rafa Nadal with the draw he has would have been upset early. So that's why I, I'm just I'm not going to pick Nadal to get upset. I'm going to pick him to go uh, as far as the semifinals. But when he plays Federer on this surface, there's a big disparity with the serving. And I think Federer can play him pretty much even on the baseline and can outserve him on this surface. So that's why if we get a Fedal semifinal for the second straight tournament, I think Federer gets his revenge on the grass. And then, of course, Federer is coming in in good shape. Uh, I think the clay court season was very positive for Federer. He lost to Nadal at the French. No shame in that. And uh, he should be coming in more match tough and th than he was last year. Hopefully a little bit healthier than last year where he was dealing with the hand injury and it looked like it was bothering him on his forehand because he wasn't hitting that shot well. Uh, so Federer is in great shape coming in. Djokovic should be in good shape coming in, but I have a little bit of questions about his preparation. Nadal, I, I just like where he's at for his grass court style, although he, uh, he didn't play well in exhibitions. And that's where everyone's at. And then remember, we have this one quarter, and who the heck knows who's going to make the semifinal? Maybe it'll be Benoit Paire. I don't know. Like this, this is going to be a crazy, crazy quarter in my opinion. Big opening for, for Alexander Zverev. If he can finally get through, I mean, this would be the quarter that would give him the chance to do it. I just don't really think he's going to take the opportunity. All right, that's all I got. 
Uh, here is the deal. On Monday or on Sunday, I'm going to uh, make a post on YouTube. You guys are going to comment. I'm going to read the most liked ones, and we will have a chat. Until then, hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It is the first Monday of Wimbledon. Just as we always do, a full 30 minutes of comment response. I read through the comments. They are fantastic. I am excited. And sometimes we start this on a Monday, and nothing's really happened yet. Such is not the case here, my friends. A lot has happened. Stefano Tsitsipas gets the honor of being on the Monday Match Analysis thumbnail. Usually a good thing. Almost always a good thing, but it's a bad thing in this case because he has been defeated by Thomas Fabiano in five sets. Another loss, Sasha Zverev going down to Yuri Vesely, one that I don't really think should be equated, a lot less surprising. Maybe we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, Naomi Osaka also going down on the women's side, uh, but we're not going to get into in too much depth with those matches um, because uh, we got to respond to these comments. And, more importantly, I didn't really get to watch them. I'll have to catch up on them a little bit later. So let's get into it. Nikhil Tanwar has our most liked question. He says, how can Rafa defeat Roger at Wimbledon if they meet in the semis? What is the major change in their games from when they last played Wimbledon uh, in 2008? I think Roger's game is now heavily dependent on his serve, even if it dip dips to the level of 80%. Rafa will defeat him with his new aggressive gameplay. Uh, so I think that we've covered some of this, uh, how, how Roger has changed mainly his court position and uh, definitely taking his backhand on the rise more, hitting his backhand flatter, hitting over his backhand more, really just playing sharper tactically against Rafa. But um, as Nikhil points out, Nadal has made tremendous adapta adaptations, I should say, to his game. And they're adaptations that I think suit Grass very, very well. And he's played he's played well at Wimbledon a couple of years in a row now. I thought that the Gilles Mueller upset uh, two years back was really bad luck by Nadal. And, you know, he, he was really, I think, primed to go very deep in that tournament. Just ran into a guy who was hitting the corner with every single serve. And then last year... Probably one point away from winning Wimbledon, as I don't think there's much doubt in any of our minds that he would have beaten Kevin Anderson in the final if he didn't lose, lose to uh, Djokovic in the semis. And, of course, he had two match points. And, um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll go through briefly. We've talked about what Nadal's doing differently, but um, it's, it's a lot more variation on the backhand side. It's going to the net more often. Uh, but one of the biggest things is just being more, um, I'd say, urgent aggressive with his intention on the forehand side, trying to do more damage off of his forehand early in rallies, which wasn't, wasn't a huge part of his game back in 2008. Um, it was more death by, you know, it, it was more kind of high, almost in fighting, it'd be a high volume puncher, death, death by six blows instead of death by one or two blows, if you know what I mean. Uh, but the question is, how can Rafa defeat Roger at Wimbledon if they meet? I mean, 
at the end of the day, like I, I think we, I think we know how Rafa can can defeat Roger on grass. I'll say this on grass, it would probably come down to the return of serve, uh, because I'd say the the more these two get um, in neutral baseline rallies, I'd say Nadal at his best certainly has an advantage there. Uh, the thing is with grass. The player who serves better and returns better has a, a really good chance to win. A really good chance to win on this surface. So that's what it would come down to. It would come down to two things. One, it would be Rafa's return, which is sometimes not the best on grass because he's so effective at moving all the way back on clay and letting kind of the bounce slow it down and then taking full cuts and taking heavy cuts on the ball, which kind of can push his opponent back. On grass, he needs to play further up. He can't really take that full swing. It's more of an abbreviated traditional return, um, so it's not as effective. And then for Rafa, of course, with the serve, it's mixing up his locations. Uh, l l he did not do a good job against Federer um, in 2017 where he was serving way too much to the ad side, to Federer's backhand, and Federer was eating it up, hitting flat returns right back at Nadal's feet and rushing him on that very next ball. So Rafa would need to mix up his serving. But the, the short answer to your question, well, it's not actually short. I've been blabbing. Uh, serve and return is the key for Rafa at Wimbledon because from the baseline, we all know he can do enough to beat Roger Federer. The next question is from OCS. He says, or she, will Kyrgios and Rafa be the most entertaining match of the year because of uh, off-court words, gamesmanship, close head-to-head, -head, and Wimbledon history? And if the match happens, what is your prediction? Mine is Kyrgios in four. No hate to Rafa. He could easily win in three, depending on which Kyrgios shows up. Yeah, so I mean, ne nearly an impossible match to predict. Really tough to predict. Will it be the most entertaining match of the year. It it could be, but here's the thing. I mean, Nadal doesn't play in to Kyrgios's uh, antics very much. Uh, so uh, we saw in Acapulco, Nadal was clearly a little bit ticked off. Uh, I think that overall, though, you can't beat amazing quality of tennis. So, for example, you take a match... I don't know, like like the final. I mean, the the, the team Nadal Roland Garros final um, was an excellent match. Or, I mean, I guess the Aussie Open didn't really give us any great matches. At Federer Tsitsipas, five sets, the quarterfinal, right? That 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 was a better match. The quality and the quality in that match wasn't off the charts, actually. But uh, my guess is that Kyrgios plays too inconsistently to actually maintain a really high level, and therefore it wouldn't be the most entertaining match of the year. But hey, uh, I love the drama. And again, if you want my take on the Kyrgios-Rafa quasi-rivalry, I don't know if it's a full-out rivalry because... Uh, because I don't know, it's 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 Nadal and Kyrgios. The, the accomplishments in their career is not even close to comparable. So I don't know if it's I don't know if calling it a rivalry would be a bit disrespectful to Nadal. I personally think it would be, uh, but I'll call it the drama. My take on the drama is it's fantastic. Two opposite personalities shouldn't like each other, and they shouldn't pretend to like each other. My prediction. Yeah, I mean, uh, my prediction would be Kyrgios could win this match. 
Uh, my prediction is if Kyrgios could, could be very – if Kyrgios played his best, um, served his best, I feel like he can take take the racket out of Nadal's hands with his serve with, with his serving. Uh, Kyrgios doesn't return very well on this surface, so he relies on a lot of tie breaks. That's kind of my qualm with Kyrgios. But Nadal's kind of a perfect matchup on grass because Nadal doesn't serve too big for Kyrgios, so he could probably put enough in play. Here's the thing. If, if you're going to act, ask me to predict this match, I'm not going to predict that Kyrgios brings his best stuff because the guy, let's face it, the guy usually doesn't bring his best stuff. So my prediction would probably be Nadal in four. My prediction would probably be that Kyrgios doesn't play a focused match. That would be my prediction. But yeah, Kyrgios could win. Uh, let's go. Next question, Michael Neves. Outside of the big three, who could go on and win Wimbledon this year? Could Tsitsipas win? I am so, so, so glad that Michael asked this question because there was a point I really wanted to make uh, when I was recording the Wimbledon preview, and I, I just forgot to make it. Like, I, I really wanted to say this, and I forgot. So thank you, Michael, for the question. This is the point I want to make. I can't remember the last time I was so positive the champion would be a member of the big three. I don't think there's anyone in the mix. And obviously, I think Tsitsipas, I got to say, I got to be honest. I mean, in retrospect, I, I don't look smart for, for admitting this. But yeah, I would have said Tsitsipas is number four after the big three with chances. Now, Tsitsipas hasn't had good results on grass, but to me, that's just confounding. I don't really get why. The serve is there. He locates his serve well. He locates his forehand really well, not to mention he hits it really big. So I would think the first strike tennis, the fact that he plays pretty close to the baseline, he's comfortable transitioning to the net. He's got a great uh, mid-court game, does Tsitsipas, plus the ball stays low, which I really like for his one-handed backhand. I mean, to me, he should be really good on grass given his skill set. Why isn't he? I, I would guess it's because of the return, which is so important on this surface and so difficult on this surface. Uh, you look at one-handed backhands. Again, these guys really struggle to hit over their returns on grass. If you look at the grand scope of tennis, and Feder does a fantastic job, and Gasquet is great on grass as well, but your your team, your Vavrinka, uh, Tsitsipas, um, a guy... Like Denis Shapovalov, I would say, uh, a lot of the faster courts. What happens when Shapovalov goes on a, on a very fast court? He's too rushed. He doesn't return well. So I would say that's why Tsitsipas isn't playing well on grass. I still maintain that at some point in his career, he should be able to figure it out on this surface. So he would have been my number four. I also want to mention the Juan Martin Del Potro injury. Because... A healthy Del Potro would be I, the biggest threat to challenge the big three. But Del Potro out, Tsitsipas out, even though I would have made this point before Tsitsipas went out. I mean, I could see – I just I just can't – I can't see anyone else winning this. I really, really can't because, you know, you could look at guys who could make runs at Wimbledon. Like a, like a Milos Raonic, or, and I'm going to name say a bunch of big servers here. A Milos Raonic, a Kevin Anderson, a John Isner, uh, you know. But they just can't win. They can make a run, but they can't win. Who's going to come out of the second quarter, Kevin Anderson's quarter? Probably someone crazy. 
They're going to be in the semifinals, but can they win? No. So, uh, wow. The big three has a total stranglehold on this tournament and on the surface right now. All right. Uh, Sharif Ahab. Probably Sharif, I would say, not not Sheriff. Sharif. Uh, if Rafa or Novak win Wimbledon, is it possible for them to match or exceed Federer's Grand Slam count by next year? This year in Rafa's case. Please like so Gilk and see. Uh, okay, let's think about this. Um, okay, so for, for Nadal... You'd have to be pretty skeptical. So first of all, Nadal is the third favorite at Wimbledon, in my opinion, uh, behind Djokovic and Federer. So it's not overly likely, but at the same time, uh, Rafa is definitely in the mix here, and I, I, I really do like his game on grass these days. But the U.S. Open's an even tougher sell. Because Rafa's had so much trouble staying healthy on hard courts. He's had so much trouble finishing hard court tournaments and hard court, you know, he's just, he's not even finishing events on hard court right now. The U.S. Open is the most physical slam. It's the toughest on the joints. It's the toughest on the knees. Uh, now it is a slow hard court, which should suit Rafa really well, but we got to wait until he's healthy. It's an interesting one. As for Djokovic, uh, again, it's just about his longevity and about his motivation. Right now, that seems to be the biggest enemy, the biggest thing that gets in the way of Novak Djokovic. And for the most part, it hasn't really gotten in the way in Grand Slams. Although there's a microcosm of the team match where he came out on that Friday and wasn't very motivated because he was upset about the wind. So, I mean, it's really, it's really mindset for Djokovic and, and motivation. And can he keep the fire burning? Can, can, he, can he keep the candle lit? Uh, so Nadal obviously can match. But, I mean, the reality is it's, it's very, very unlikely that uh, Nadal goes on to win the next two slams. Next set of comments. I'll, I'll pick up the pace. On the very, very liked ones, I try to go long. But now I'll go a little bit faster. Alex James, what is holding Zverev back from going deeper in a slam? We saw his big first serve in London, but he can't trust his second serve. So why isn't he booming his first serve like we know he can? It's probably because he doesn't trust his second serve. That's the first thing. Uh, the, the next thing is he doesn't have a big weapon. Djokovic has his return, his defense, his consistency, his backhand. All weapons. Zverev doesn't have any of that. Nadal, massive forehand, his mental game, his hard work, and then obviously the things that surround the big forehand and the mental toughness, which is the touch and the volleys and uh, you know the variation at this stage in his career, not to mention he's got a fantastic backhand, right? But, but Zverev doesn't have that massive weapon like that Nadal forehand, that's for sure, or the Nadal mental game. Zverev doesn't have the creativity that Federer has. He doesn't have the serve consistency that Federer has. He doesn't have the Federer forehand. All Zverev has is a really good backhand and a, and a good consistency. Not good in the midcourt. Not good at the net. Not a great returner. Not very quick. And I know I'm killing the guy right now. But uh, 
it's very simple for Zverev. He's very close. He has the ingredients to be a really good server with a really great backhand if he could just support it with a better forehand. And with better men, you know, he seems to be distracted. He seems to be a mess mentally. He has no confidence. He's too passive. His shot selection isn't good. I mean, right now, Zverev is just, he's a talented mess. And a lot of you guys will be in the comments saying, Zverev has no talent. Zverev, Zverev will never be good. No, very talented. That doesn't make him less of a mess right now. But he's, he's an extremely clean ball striker. He's extremely consistent from the back. He's a pretty good mover for his size, which is an important uh, qualification. But the forehand is a big problem. I mean, that shot needs to be better in the men's game. Look at, look at the – I mean, just, just go, go through the top 10. Go through the top 10 and, and, and find a guy. Let's actually do that right now as, a, as an exercise. Let's see if anyone has a worse forehand than Zverev in the top 10. And I, 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 let's see. I'm pulling up the rankings right now. All right, here we are. So obviously Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, team all have better forehands. Tsitsipas has a better forehand. Nishikori is a bit debatable, but I think he's got a better forehand. Kevin Anderson has a better forehand. Hatchinov has a better forehand. Fanini has a better forehand. Then 11 is Del Potro. 12 is Isner. Certainly has a more aggressive forehand. Daniil Medvedev at 13 is the guy, is the first guy who does not have a better forehand than Alexander Zverev. In my opinion. Uh, Paul Thomas. Rafa has lost his last eight matches on hard courts to Djokovic without winning a set. Why is he so bad at this? So we've discussed this. It's mostly the cross-court pattern. Djokovic backhand uh, to Nadal's forehand. When Nadal is on the run on in his forehand corner, he just he drops that cross-court forehand short. And uh, Djokovic really dictates with, with his backhand. That's kind of the main pattern. Uh, where that that Djokovic can can use against Nadal. It's the depth. It's it's playing on the rise. It, it's more than that. Uh, but th that's what that's what puts Djokovic ahead in rallies is his cross court backhand. But we've went over that. We've we have went over that in, in some more depth. Uh, the next comment. I'm not really going to read it um, out loud. Which it stinks for uh, well for those listening for the podcast it's saying that coffee, the host of uh, Coffee Break Tennis uh, is uh, is a Federer lover and is not to be trusted just uses some short, uh, choice words that I'm not going to say uh, because of the kids anyway um, what I will say about Coffee Break Tennis is our shows are completely different and not to be compared I mean it, it's just. And, and I'm not saying I'm better. I'm saying we are completely different. I mean, if you're comparing Monday match analysis and coffee break tennis, it's 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 apples it's apples to oranges. We we do different things. The things he does, I would never do. The things I do, he doesn't do. And 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 that's the end of it. Ryan Locke. Apart from Djokovic beating Nadal in the 2011 Wimbledon final, what is your favorite match from Wimbledon? Uh, the 2011 match is not my, anyway, whatever, who knows? Uh, let's see my favorite Wimbledon match. Yeah, it's, it's the 2000, the 2008 Federer Nadal. And I know that's a, a very, very boring answer, 
But the reason I'm comfortable giving that answer is it's probably the first I was I was young at the time and it's probably one of the first matches that that I ever I mean I, I always you know, look I played tennis at this point I watched tennis at this point but I watched that entire match through and at that age I I wouldn't normally do that um, and I. It, it, it did. It did. It made me. It made me like tennis more. That match made me like tennis more. So I would say it's got to be that one. But I mean, last year, last year's matches were also, by the way, incredible. The Nadal Djokovic over two days and the Nadal Del Potro match were both uh, classic matches. I loved. I mean, the matches that that Murray. You know, when when Murray beat Federer in the final, that was incredible just because of what it was. Um, there have been a lot. There really have. Not going to read Johnny Winfield's comment because there is nothing for me to say about that. All right. Next one. Here's a long one. We're at the 20-minute mark. Two questions here. I'm surprised it's got so many likes. Very good. You guys You guys read this whole thing. That's impressive. Um, jokes aside. Gold Wolf jokes aside. Usually people who analyze tennis will factor in the conditions and the quickness overall feel of the court as a big factor determining who has uh, a better slash worse chance of winning. However, even though there are five grass court tournaments, I have never heard anyone talk about the conditions at Haller, for example, are so different from, say, Eastbourne. We hear players like Nadal saying all the time, Madrid, Rome, Roland Garros, very different feel. And I was just wondering why it's not a common rhetoric on grass. Are all grass courts the same? Uh, they're definitely not all the same. Um, Hal is a more inconsistent bounce. I would say, like, Hal is lightning quick. I mean, it's mock speed. So I would say, like, Queens is a little bit slower. But I would I would say, like, the, the British grass courts, uh, a lot of these events are in the UK. And if they're in the UK... They're sanctioned by the LTA. They're set up by the LTA. That's the, the Lawn Tennis Association. So they kind of all play by the same rules, made out of the same stuff, if I'm not mistaken. So I think because so many of the tournaments are in the UK, you have a lot of the same. Um, I'm not really sure how Stuttgart plays, but I, I do think that, that Halla is considerably faster than everything else. I mean, I was watching this year, and it was like... Holy God, those are fast. Uh, then the second question. Personally, I feel like the journalists ask the same questions all the time, and most of them are not very interesting. I, like you, think the ATP should do a better job via the press conferences to present viewers with some content as to show who is Roger Federer and Nadal, what are they like in real life, what's their personality like. Feeling like you know someone will definitely make you pull for that person and therefore will make you a much more engaged fan than if you're just watching for tennis sake. All that to say, what if you could get in the media room? What question would you ask? Which player and why? I would be very interested to hear you talk about the question you personally asked afterwards uh, during the show. That way you could talk in more depth about the player's answer um, and why you chose the question. Thanks for your videos, Gil. Uh, I appreciate that, Cedric. Um, so I actually, I didn't read this entire comment before the show, so I'm just kind of processing this, uh, as we speak. But, um, if I, if I covered Wimbledon, if I were in the press room, I would ask a lot more questions about 
things like tactics and adjustments and what are you working on? Uh, you know, I mean, if I, okay, so I watch Dominic team practice. If you haven't watched that video, um, and you love drills and you know, you like kind of geeking out about tennis, I really encourage you to watch that video. I think you'll like it. But if I talk to team and Nicholas Masu right now, I would say, um, Dominic, um, first of all, you know, are you, are you trying to slice it more than you do on clay here on the grass? Right. I would ask a question like for the return, um, how difficult do you find it to time your backhand return on grass compared to the clay? And what goes into the what goes into the decision? Um, are you going to move back as you like to on the clay courts or are you going to move up? And then I'm going to ask things in terms of personalizing the players. Right. It's not all about tactics. It's not all about what happens on the court. Um, it's also about what happens off the court. Um, so I think that not enough players have a have a kind of rapport where they're doing long form interviews. Where um, okay, how did you have you watched? I would ask Dominic Team, have you watched the Rafa Nadal match over again? Have you went over it? What do you think you've uh, you know? What do you think you've you've taken away from that now? I would say, does it still sting? What did you do after the match? How long before you went back to training? You know, what what was your preparation for the grass? Um, what has Masu, I believe that this is his first time training for grass with uh, head coach Nicholas Masu, right? So what are some of the things that, that he's told you that you've never, you've never really thought about for grass court tennis? What are you changing? All that stuff. Um, but I think you you have to I, – I sympathize with the journalist because press conferences – here's the thing. Follow-ups create good answers. The first question never gets a good answer. So right now, I just asked you first questions. You're never going to get a really good answer from a first question. But the way the press conferences are set up, you can't ask many follow-ups. You need to give other journalists a chance to work on uh, – to get content for their story. So – what we need is we need long-form interviewing. That's what we need. Maybe one day, guys. Maybe one day. A couple of uh, questions from Gold Wolf here. Wait, hold on. Let me pull it up. Everyone knows I'm Rafa's biggest fan. So this question is not hate on Rafa. My opinion on this matter is objective, blah, 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 blah. Gil, do you think Rafa saying Wimbledon's seating system is disrespectful is contradictory to him advocating in the past for a two-year ranking system because that is what Wimbledon's system seating does, just with grass? He wants two-year rankings when it helps him to keep his world number one ranking, but not when it loses him a good seed. Well, I think it's, it's partially contradictory because it's – you know, part of the Wimbledon seeding system is, yes, it's a two-year ranking system. That part is contradictory. What's not necessarily contradictory is uh, the fact that Wimbledon takes into account more your results on grass. It rewards players for playing more grass, and it rewards players for doing well at Wimbledon. You know, personally, I think it's fair, the Wimbledon seeding system. I think it's a fair system, um, but I also think that I'm, I'm glad we got to hear Nadal's opinion on it. I want open, honest athletes willing to speak their mind. That's what I said on, on Twitter. 
Um, and I think people seem seem to agree with me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's partially contradictory, but I think Rafa might have been saying, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that one tournament, or you know, for players who don't play Wimbledon, I don't think that one tournament should matter so much, or I don't think that playing Helen Stuttgart, which a player like Rafa definitely shouldn't do, or probably shouldn't do, why should Rafa be punished that? So that's why for that. That's why Rafa's upset. So I get it. All right, Goldwolf, if you're afraid, he's got another. You guys liked his comments. Um, if you're afraid to answer my other question because you don't want to rile up your Choker Squirrel following, here's another neutral question. Okay, great. Um, why didn't you get a press pass for Wimbledon? You're in London, rather large following. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, good, good, good question, actually. Um, so I'm I have other commitments here. I'm doing other things. I'm actually leaving London at the end of this week or, or after – after it's actually next Wednesday I'm leaving Wimbledon. I'm attending Wimbledon on Monday and Tuesday. Um, so that's one reason. Another reason is, is I'm, I'm, I'm doing other things. I'm working freelance. I know that some of you guys have asked this, so I'll, I'll actually just tell you guys. I'm working freelance for um, KCW Today, a newspaper, and London Live, a television program. Just for a couple months, I'm about to, uh, I'm about to end, end that, um, but, but that's kind of what I've been doing here in London, um, so, that, so, so, so there you have that. Um, in the future, though, Again, uh, long term, right now, right now, I, I do this part ter- part time. It's it's not my job. Um, I I do other things, um, but that could change one day. That's all. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And for those of you who who follow this channel, that would be good news for you guys because it would it would improve things. A is here. Which fan base is the most toxic? Fed fans, Nole fam, or Rafa fans, and why? Um, I mean, I don't really know. I think all of them can be toxic and I'm very biased here. I'm very biased in this case to my comment section. Um, and I find that, that Rafa fans are sensitive, uh, Nole fans assume anti Djokovic bias from all media and, and sometimes they're a little bit you know, close-minded when it comes to criticism, um, and generally when I when I when I pick against Federer or when I criticize Federer, I just I don't really get that um, defensiveness or kind of sometimes hate that I do from Nole fam and Rafa fan when I say bad things about their guy. Now I, but you know, it differs. I mean, if you, I, I talked to uh, uh, another journalist. I'm not going to give up his name because this was a conversation that I don't. I'm not just going to spill the beans here. But he said that Federer fans are the most toxic. They're crazy. He gets all the hate from the Federer fans, and he thinks Nole fans, Rafa fans, very classy. So I, I think it, it, it kind of. Again, we kind of had differing experiences. It might be because Federer's kind of past his prime and Federer fans are at a stage of just kind of being appreciative of where he's at and they're not really expecting much out of Roger anymore and that's why they're okay with it. Where Djokovic and Rafa have kind of 
they're kind of trying to play catch up when it comes to the slam count and Djokovic as being the the third in popularity. They kind of have a, a bit of a chip on their shoulder maybe, and there's definitely some uh, anti-Djokovic bias that exists out there. So maybe that's why they're so uh, vitriolic sometimes towards uh, me. But I don't know. So there's your answer. Uh, there is one more, and then we are going to wrap it up. Comes from Terry and Terry. By the way, Goldwolf did have one other comment, but I, I am going to skip it. Uh, sorry, Goldwolf. Can't have all the comments. Um, and Terry and Terry says, Gil, hi, my friend. Let's see if you will answer this question. I will. It's all up to likes, and Terry and Terry. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, in my opinion, it is Wimbledon. Oh, which Grand Slam tournament, in your opinion, is the most difficult to win? In my opinion, it is Wimbledon because the margins are so small and you can be in big danger even against a low-ranked player. And the reason, too, um, is because the margins are super small. I mean, on grass, if you lose your serve, you more or less lost the set. All because it is much more difficult to break serve on grass um, when compared with clay and hard courts. This small margins uh, definitely don't have on clay or hard courts and wants my thoughts and opinions. Thanks, and Terry and Terry, for the question. I don't really agree, though, because I think that I think that small margins can also lead to kind of more fluky results, and especially with the big servers, right? It might just take a couple of tie breaks where they get a little bit of luck their way, where they can kind of go deep. Um, I mean, they're, I, I'm almost inclined to say they're all equally as difficult, but I'll actually say that the U.S. Open is the most difficult to win because it's the last. Uh, it shows the most endurance. You've been through so much by this point. You've played other players, these players, throughout the year. A lot of the times there's already kind of head-to-heads, but everyone is struggling. When the U.S. Open comes around, everyone has bumps and bruises. And to get through two weeks where sometimes it's hot and sometimes it's windy and sometimes it's chilly. So many different conditions. I think that makes the U.S. Open um, the hardest major. I'm sorry for the noise. Luckily, it's come at the end of the show. Um, my conditions, of course, aren't really ideal. That's why you don't see my face. But that is indeed a dryer that you're hearing. Um, okay, so we will continue with the Wimbledon with Wimbledon coverage. It'll mostly be quick thoughts videos. I'll be watching as much as I can, um, and of course, end of the week, Monday, Tuesday, we should have a Wimbledon vlog coming your way, which should be very exciting. I'll be queuing just like the, a, a regular person. So I'm I'm very excited for that. Very excited to see what this tournament has in store. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.